Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church. Um, The Bible reading today is taken from the book of Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 to 24. Um, When I finish reading I will say this is the word of the Lord. You are to respond with thanks be to God. Verse 11. I want you to know brothers and sisters that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it. Rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Then later, I went to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us now is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy it, and they praise God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see us all here, and uh, particularly... If you are joining us for the first time, we're so happy that you're here. My name is Femi, um, and uh, we've been going through a sermon series. We started three weeks ago. Oh, I should welcome also those who are online as well. Uh, We've been going through a sermon series. We started three weeks ago, and we called it No Longer Slaves. Slaves. Are you free? (laughs) No Longer Slaves, are you free? But it's us going through the book of Galatians, and so really happy to bring this word to you. And if you're joining us again for the first time, you can catch any of those, the other two that were preached. I recommend those messages very highly on our podcast called The Gospel in Lagos. Okay, um, let's start with this. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. It's called Deola. Deola, nice guy. Kind of guy that if you spend time with, time flies by. If you met Deola today for the first time, and you ask him, give me some life advice. You know what Deola would say? He would say, don't give up on your dreams. No matter the obstacles you face, be determined and work hard in pursuing them. Why? Because dreams do come true. Some of us will be sneering at that and we have all this motivational stuff and everything. I did 
a little bit, Snail Adiola, when I first met him. What happened was he came to my room, uh, where I was staying, the apartment complex I was staying in, doing our, my master's. And it was the time when we were meant to be doing our dissertation. So this is your, sec your third, uh, we have two semesters of normal work, and then the third part where you do your dissertation, your project. So Diola came for some advice. He was doing the same course. And when I started to give him the advice, the guy started dozing off <laughs> and sleeping. I, I'm sure some of us have experienced that kind of thing before. Maybe you are the one that was dozing off. I was like, what kind of unserious guy is this? We thought, and all these dreams can come true kind of nonsense. And maybe you are thinking that, but the thing is, you don't really understand. You see, Deola actually had enrolled for his master's one year before me. So he had actually started one year before me. Now we're both doing our dissertation at the same time. Why? Well, Deola had done his master's to a certain point, but after that, the school said he had to leave, that he couldn't do the dissertation because he was still owing them a significant amount of money on his fees. So. For the next one year, Deola had to work three jobs. And just to pay the fees to a point where they now allowed him to be able to do the dissertation. At the time he was now meeting with me, because he had to do dissertation, he was no longer doing three jobs, he was just doing two. One of them was, um, uh, he was a security guard, and the other one he was a social worker. And the social work, he was doing, he was having to work with um, the elderly, you know, and help them with some of the things that many of us would not like to help them with. But he had just come back from his security work when he was with me. So the reason he was dozing off was he had not had sleep in probably about, you know, 20 hours. To which I'm now thinking, hey, how is this guy eventually going to finish? Look, he can't even listen to me. How is he going to finish this dissertation? And if you are thinking that too, the problem is you didn't know Deola. Deola, before he came to the UK, do you know how he finished his university degree in Nigeria? Because nobody sponsored him. He sponsored himself. He attended less than 25% of the classes, still finished with a 2-2. You know how he was doing that? He was selling puff puff at Broad Street. How did he get to the UK? Because he did not do, he didn't go through the Sahara Desert and Libya <laughs> and what? Remarkably, how he got his visa, it was just like, it was a remarkable thing. But for some idea, like getting the visa was not enough. You know, for people who have gotten the visa, you just land in, because you have people. He had to work extra hard to afford the ticket itself. You got one of these very cheap tickets, go to Egypt, from Egypt go to Israel, from Israel, you know all those. <laughs> and that's how he landed. And so Deola had gone through all of these things before. You thought this was going to be a problem. It was a problem. Cut long story short, somehow he kept visiting and went to some other people. He remarkably finished his dissertation. He got his degree. And then he paid off the remaining debt. He got his degree. And then after, he stopped doing the social care work and the, um, and the security guard. He got a better job. He was now the concierge of an apartment 
uh, complex. You know what the concern is? The people that sit in reception welcome you. At least it was daytime now. And you're like, ah, is that all? Well, fast forward after that, around 2011, 2012, Deola was one of the first fruits of Canada. He finally got his dream. He didn't go from Nigeria, though. He, so he didn't run away. He had already run away to the UK. But he eventually went to Canada. He moved with his family. And he got an oil, oil job there. And he has been there ever since. He's doing well. So if you met Deola and you said, all this dream nonsense, what's the evidence that you have that I can continue to pursue my dream? You know what Deola would say? This is my story. You see, in the passage of what they read for us, Paul was being challenged about his apostleship. In fact, there were people who wanted to spread a message in the churches that he had planted in the regions of Galatia. But in order for them to get converts to their message, they had to discredit the message of Paul. And the way they were going to discredit the message of Paul was to discredit the person of Paul. So what they said was, you know, Paul got his apostleship. He was commissioned by the apostles that were before him. You see that in verse 17. The apostles that were in Jerusalem. Who are apostles? They were special designated members to carry the gospel message, and they were foundational pieces of the church. So they were saying Paul's apostleship was derivative. And as a result of that, at some point, Paul went rogue. He went away from the people, his fathers, that anointed and blessed him. So we are now come with the true message of the gospel. Paul left some parts out and started preaching his own message. So Paul had to defend his apostleship. That's why he started in the way he started in verse 1. And the way Paul was going to defend his message, you know how? Paul says, this is my story. You see, stories are powerful ways of communicating the rationale behind specific life purposes. And for many of us, we have our stories of how we arrived where we are. But the truth is, far too many of us aren't where we are meant to be or we are not where we desire to be. In fact, our undesired past remains our undesired present. We want to see things change. We want our stories to change. Well, guess what? Paul's story shows us that we can experience the desired change in our story when we meet with God through the gospel. And when that happens, two things happen. We glorify God and it affects others. My prayer for you this morning is that you will meet God here today and that you'll experience this turnaround this morning. In this sermon we have titled, surprise, surprise, this is my story. And we're going to consider it under three headings. The structure of the story, the result of the story, and the key to the story. The structure of the story, result of the story, and the key to the story. But before we do that, let's pray. Because I feel a strong sense of the Spirit of God here. Lord, we need you right now. For what we are asking for, oh Lord, is nothing short of what only you can do. And so, Lord, I pray for the presence of your spirit. We prayed and we sang, in our, we've, we've prayed through our song. We said, there is a place where we like to dwell. It is the presence of our Father. But only your spirit can bring us to that presence. So, Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come here now in the name of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we ask 
that as the Spirit makes the light of your word amplified, let sinners be sanctified, let saints be edified, let Satan be horrified, let God be magnified, and let Jesus be glorified, to which we ask in his name, to which we all say, So let's start with the first piece, the structure of the story. If you want to achieve certain goals that you are yet to attain to in life, it's important for you to do two things. For that specific purpose that you want to achieve, there are two things you must do. You must assess where you are now and also review how you got there. Assess where you are now, review how you got there. In other words, I'm saying you need to be able to properly tell your story. Now, to properly tell your story, you need three things. What are those three things? You need to tell your story so far with significant details using relevant markers from a particular angle. You need to tell your story by giving significant details using relevant markers from a particular angle. What do I mean? Let me explain. Now, in Paul, when Paul tells the story from verses 13 to 24, you notice that he goes from his previous life. He says, you have heard of my previous way of life. So he starts from his previous way of life, and then he comes to his present way of life. Because in verse, 20, uh, verse 23, they said, the man is now preaching the faith. The man is now preaching the faith. So his previous way of life to his present way of life. Now, when he describes his present way of life, look at verse 13 again. He says, you have heard of my previous way of life. How? In Judaism. In Judaism. In other words, for the specific purpose for why Paul is telling his story, he's telling you his story from a particular angle. You can't just tell your story generically. You always have to tell it from a particular word, angle. It's like somebody saying, I want to write the history of the world. What does that mean? History of which, are you going to write the history of every single person in this life? Are you going to write the history of every single nation? You are always writing from what? A particular angle. So Paul is writing from his spiritual and religious history. When we give a resume, our resumes, what do we put? We are saying from a particular angle, this is my life's history from my academic and career angle. Do you get that? When you visit the doctor and he brings out your report of previous dealings, what is he doing? He's bringing out your history from the health angle. Some of us, we have from our romantic angle. But here Paul is saying it from his spiritual and religious history. So that's the first thing from a particular angle. But Paul's story has relevant markers as well. So if you're looking at the angle, you have to identify certain markers. For Paul, it was from persecutor to preacher. You know, if you want to describe now, we all use Google Maps. So, but before, if you want to describe how to get to a certain place to someone, let's say you want to get here, say, get on Lake Ekpe Expressway. After Marwa Roundabout, right? So Marwa Roundabout is a marker. Take the first turning right. When you see Petro Cam, that's another marker. Then you now see what? City Lodge. Do you understand? We use markers. So when you're telling your story, you have to look at markers. So for instance, if you're asking the question, why am I in the career situation that I, I'm currently in? 
you have to examine your story from certain markers. So you can say, examine it from post-NYSE to now. Those are two markers. But you can make it more than those two markers. You can say, post-NYSE, my second job resignation, and now. Because maybe you are fired, but you got the resignation. Right? And that's why you are where you are now. Because you can't ask for a review. When you ask for a review, you can't send it. <laughs> or let's take from your relationship angle. What is wrong with me and relationships? But some of you, for you to do that and tell that story, you need the relevant markers. You say, maybe I should examine from bio to dial. <laughs> you understand what I mean? But for some of you, that's too long. It's too long, like what has happened between, a lot has happened for, between bio and dial. You need more markers. So what do you do? You go from dial to tile, and from tile to shire, from shire to lyre before you now get to bio. Do you understand what I mean? Because all of those guys were significant. Some of you don't understand, a lot of you understand, so stop. So the relevant markers are important. So if we have the angle and we have the markers, we now need the significant details. And Paul starts to give us details. Remember, because they are trying to discredit Paul and his apostleship, they want to tell a part of Paul's story, but they want to tell it in their own way. So Paul then says, I'm not going to allow you to tell my story. I have to tell my story myself. So I'm going to give you significant details about my life pre my conversion and post my conversion. Pre my conversion and post. Let's talk about pre conversion. When Paul in 13 and 14 says he was, he, my previous life in Judaism, in verse 14 he tells us that he was advancing zealously, advancing zealously beyond his peers in Judaism, the tradition of his fathers. And what was he doing? What was the expression of that Judaism? It wasn't just theological knowledge. Look at verse 13. He says that I was persecuting the church with the aim to destroy it. Notice that Paul is against the church. And he is against the church in two ways that would represent some of us here. You see, because Paul's past life of being against the church is probably the present life of some of us here or some of us watching. And it comes in two ways. He is both anti-religious and zealously religious. What do I mean by he's anti-religious? Well, he's against the church. He's against the religion of Christianity. And maybe you are here. You've been very familiar with the life of, that Christianity asks us to live, but you are against that life. You're very prolific in sleeping around and breaking people's hearts. You treat people that are under you very harshly. You take bribes. You live for yourself. And your excuse is, I'm not against Christ. <laughs> Who would be against Christ? I'm just against the church and all the rules that the church have added to Christianity. To which I do want to say, when Paul met Jesus for the first time in Acts 9, 4 to 5, when Jesus met him, Jesus said to him, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Is that what he said? He said, why are you persecuting me? Really, the problem that you have is not with the church. The problem is that you have is with Jesus. Stop trying to be a coward and say that it is the church. Or some of us will say, I didn't grow up in church. 
That's why I can do what I do. But you know, deep inside your heart, many of the things that you do, they keep nagging at you. Somehow you know it's wrong. You have this sense of uncleanness after you've done that bad thing. Or for some of you, when you've achieved the things you wanted to achieve in the way you wanted to do it, that you know that the Christian faith says you shouldn't, you have this sense of, okay, I've achieved this, but I am still unsatisfied. Can I tell you, if you are that kind of anti-religious person, you need not, this need not be your present life. I pray that God will make your current life a previous way of life in Jesus' name. But then you can be zealously religious. Because don't forget that while Paul was against the church, he was doing it in the name of zealously pursuing his Judaism. He was quite religious. You know, the problem with some of us is that we are so far from God because we think we are so near to him. You actually think by sneering at non-Christians or being mean to Christians who don't act or look like you, you think that makes you right with God. Are you forgetting in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 that it says that God doesn't just look at the actions, he looks at the motivations behind what we do. And speaking about some of the actions, actually some of these actions, God did not sanction it. In the same way he didn't sanction, Judaism wasn't sanctioning destroying people's lives. And in the same way, many of the rules that we put ahead, Jesus speaks about it so eloquently, he says, many of you Pharisees, he says, that you teach for the commandments of God the doctrines or the traditions of men. God is not pleased even with the actions that you zealously put ahead and say, God will want me to do this, and you had better also be like that. You go to church, you do all the right things, supposedly, but you are so far away from him. Isaiah the prophet said that these people, um, they, 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 they speak with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. If you are that kind of person, your present way of life doesn't have to be this way. I pray that God will make this current life a previous way of life for you. And then you say, why? How can you hope in that? Well, I can hope in that because it was Paul's previous way of life. He had another way of life, which leads me to my second point, which is the result of the story. Now, please don't be mistaken, and we'll see this next week. Paul had no problem being associated with Jerusalem apostles. You'll see this next week in chapter 2. What Paul had a problem with was other people telling his narrative for him for their own specific purposes. And when they have specific purposes that are not true, then the story will not be totally accurate. Do you understand what I'm saying? So for the true purpose and for Paul's specific purpose, what's Paul's specific purpose? You can see it in verse 11 and 12, the opening part. He wanted, he said, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the gospel I preached was not of human origin. I did not receive it from men, nor was I taught. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. You, know, you see, Paul wanted to show, for his own specific purpose, that his gospel and his calling were not from men, but from Christ. And as a result of that, he had to tell us a story after his conversion. He gives us significant details of his life after his conversion, what were those significant details? He tells us about his travel log. What's going on here? He says, I went, after I got converted, I went to 
Arabia. Not Saudi Arabia. I went to Arabia, and then after that, I went to where? Damascus. Later, he says, I went to um, Syria, and I went to Sicilia. I'm like, why? Cilicia. I said Sicilia. I'm down on my knees. All right. Um, no, no, no. I'm not begging anybody, please. All right. Now, so he went to Cilicia. Why is he giving, why is he giving those details? Again, don't forget, he has a specific purpose. He tells you that immediately this happened. I did not go to Jerusalem. Because remember, they are trying to tie him to Jerusalem to then remove him and say he has gone rogue against Jerusalem. So he's giving these significant details to show that their own narrative was wrong. And this is the right one. In fact, he said, did I go to Jerusalem? Yes, I went to Jerusalem. But how long after? Three years after I got converted. How long did I spend there? 15 days. Did I see all the apostles? No, I just saw Cephas, or who is Peter. Oh, I, I spoke with Peter for a while, but I just saw James. There, are, there were like at least 12, 13, how many other apostles there? So in other words, Paul knew that whoever controlled the narrative also controlled the truth. Be very careful not to allow people to tell your narrative for you. Now, don't get me wrong. People are needed in our lives. Intervention of people in our lives, they're there to give us advice. But listen, when somebody looks at your current way of life, which you are hoping should be a previous way of life, they start to make judgments about what is going to happen. For these people, they were trying to control the narrative and say Paul had gone rogue. But for some others who knew Paul as a persecutor, you know what they'll say? Once a persecutor, Always a persecutor. But Paul experienced a dramatic and remarkable change. The persecutor all of a sudden became a preacher. Extraordinary. I said in verse 16 and verse 23, the one who persecuted us, this is all we heard, the one who persecuted us is now preaching the message of the gospel. I don't know if we know how remarkable this is. Or how extraordinary this is. Because listen, at the heart of the Christian message, and for some of us who have been Christians for such a long time, you need to hear this again. At the heart of the Christian message is this, that the worst of the worst can have their lives totally transformed. I feel like I'm speaking to somebody today. Paul, it's not that Paul did not like to go to church. He wasn't going to church. Paul is saying, where are they having church? I need to go and cause katakata there and put some of these people in jail. When they were stoning Stephen, Paul was like, ah, all of you people, where will you put your coat? Give it to me. We are going to stone him. In the King James Version in Acts chapter 9, when he was going to Damascus, he said Paul was breathing, he was breathing threatenings and what? Slaughters. Eh? We will breathe Carbon dioxide and oxygen. He was breathing threatenings and slaughters. This guy wanted to see the end of the church. And all of a sudden they said, this one who was actually trying to destroy the church is now preaching. He experienced a transformation. And let me tell you this, you can experience that same transformation. I am not saying this to tickle your fancy. I'm not trying to say this. Oh, you say, oh, it's just written in the Bible. Paul is just explaining, you know all these things, these religious stories. Let me tell you about my own story. I grew up in a Christian home. And from a very early age, I didn't know many things. But I knew one thing. I didn't like church. I didn't like it. 
I didn't like, hey, there are some nice songs and everything there, but I didn't like the rules. I did not like it. From when I was young, growing up, I'll go inside. My dad would always look at me. Why are you sitting there when everybody is actually singing? It's like, oh, what do I want to sing for? My, the one Bible that my first personal Bible, in front, I used to write the Premier League scorers, the highest goal scorers there. <laughs> and part of why I didn't like it was I still had time for God. Because one of the things I now realized early on was that I wanted to make it. I wanted to blow. I wanted to hammer. You understand? In fact, I didn't want to blow. I wanted to explode. You, you get? And I knew that somehow I needed God there. But I didn't like all the rules. And particularly, I didn't like the rules when, let's just say, it, I, mean, I, can't, I don't know my parents are watching, but I just have to say, when I crossed, I experienced a transition into something called puberty. You guys know what I'm talking about. Molecules start to jump in your body. You understand? And then they, I'm not now in an only boys school. I'm in, an only, I'm in a mixed school. So puberty happens, things are jumping, your eyes are open. And then you now have all these rules telling you that you can't, you understand. So I didn't enjoy it. But I knew this. University is coming. <laughs> and so all, I, all my freedom, I, won't, I was like, I can't wait. I'll be away from my parents. I'll be, you know, freedom was coming. And when I got to university, oh, freedom. I did, though. I did. Think about what you can think. Yes, I did it. But I'm not here to confirm it because I'm not sure what you are thinking. Some of you are very dirty man. <laughs> but I lived out my fantasies. I lived out year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. I, after my second semester in year five, I realized that the supposed freedom that you bring is actual bondage. Somehow, the nagging of the call of God started to come into my life. The prayers that had been uttered for years and decades started to bring me. And then I finally surrendered. But when I did, <laughs> some people heard about it. And I don't know if you ever heard the story of Saul, the king. They said one time, the Spirit of God came over him, and he started to prophesy. What did people say? He said, Saul. <laughs> Saul, too, has joined the prophet. <laughs> okay. So people heard that I have become a Christian. When some of them saw me, they said, ah, Femi, you too have become a Christian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see. Because they knew my previous way of life. There was no chance of me becoming a Christian. How much more that same guy that was living in sin all those years in my previous life is standing before you today and is also preaching the same gospel that Paul preached. Don't tell me that you cannot experience that transformation. Listen, it does not matter where you have been. It does not matter where you are at. It does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. I am here to tell you that your heart is not too hard that it cannot be transformed. Your story is not to advance in the wrong way that God cannot change it. Listen, your present way of life can become a previous way of life. To which you then say, and to what end? What's the purpose of it? What's the result of this other way of life? Well, that brings me to, I wonder, can I Sometimes I like, it's a bit of a therapy session for me. Can I onboard myself before you guys? Is it okay? Just let's have a bit of a private. I want to bring up something that happens in church. If you've been in church for a long while, it, it's a bit of a problem. <laughs> I've had a problem with it for a long time. I suspect some of you. You know what it's called? It's called testimony time. <laughs> testimony time. 
but it's not that much a blessing. Because it depends on who is sharing. Imagine if it was Sister Rosina that was sharing that day. The moment she gets up and she starts singing, right? What the Lord has done for me. I said, Sister Rosina, oh my God. You know, they'll be like, hey, we don't end. So the song will now finish. As it's dying, she brings it up again. And so we all have to dance. Her friends are there. Those ones are the ones that are excited for her. So she now finishes. And then she now starts, praise the Lord. You know that one, you do that one, you do it like three times. Okay, the Lord is fine. But then she now makes it, praise Master, Je Master Jesus and the Lord. I don't know the same. Get to this thing. So eventually she starts the testimony. And when she starts the testimony, you know, it's okay. It's not like, the testimony is okay. But it's like, we could have spoken about this. You're like, ha, ah, brethren. Hey, you will not believe what happened to me yesterday. I'm not going to say it, but she will have had a dream before she is going, but we won't talk about the dream. Then she's like, in her shop, all of a sudden, her machine stopped working. Her machine stopped working, but she remembered that prayer that pastor prayed, and she called upon the God of Papa, and all of a sudden, the machine started working. She didn't... She forgot the part that she called the technician to come back. <laughs> let's leave that. So it started working. Okay. So we are like, is that it? It's at this point something dramatic happens. Sister Rosina also notices that you are wondering, is that it? She's like, ah, this is not how I expected. It, this is not how it was meant to go. And she does something that reminds me of some of you are old enough to remember there was this um, show called Maggie Kitchen, hosted by a lady called, F okay, I said some of it, the first service. But there was a lady called Fumi Adeoye, right? She used to, it was a cooking uh, thing on NTA back in the day, right? Now, Fumi Adeoye was a great cook. So when she put all the ingredients together, put all the ingredients together, towards the end, she would do something magical. Just magical. Like all the things she's looking at, but you can't see. What she's seen, so she'll now get something. You know what she did? She takes salt. She say, and add a little bit what? Salt to, to taste. Salt to taste. Sister Rosina starts to add salt into her testimony. <laughs> when she sees that you're not reacting well, then she's now going to say something like, eh, okay. And the machine started working. And that's how God sent one person to just buy five machines for me. <laughs> like, and at that point, you're like, <laughs> Because she believes that I need to make this thing so dramatic and remarkable. So she exaggerates it. And Paul knows exactly that temptation. And that's why in verse 20, he binds himself by an oath. And he said, you may think that this story is absolutely exaggerated like Sister Rizina's own. But I tell you the truth. This thing I'm saying, God did it for me. Do you understand that somehow you can have a total dramatic testimony so that people that don't know you, as it says in verse 20, uh, 21, 22, nobody knows you. All they hear is what? A report about what has happened in your life and that leads to a particular result. You see, the problem with Sister Rosina's testimony is this. She wanted to get all the accolades for the testimony in her life. She had inserted herself in. That is why when you didn't react in the way you were meant to react, 
That was the loss of glory. For her, as she was thinking about testimony, when she said it, she was thinking about the glory she was going to get in the moment. And when you didn't give it to her, she had to exaggerate it. Paul is saying that that is not why I'm telling you this story. The reason I'm telling you this story is not about me. It is because of others. And what is the result? As you see in verse 24, it says, and they praise God because of me. Two things you must realize there. God was praised and people praised. God was praised. In other words, though your life, the whatever testimony happens in your life, it's like a movie. But in that movie, you are not the lead actor. You are a featured actor. And your job is to make the lead actor look well. God is the one who gets the accolades in our testimonies. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about us. But the second thing is that it's not just that God, it's not just that God was praised, but people praise God. No doubt some of those people would have been non-Christians. But the emphasis there is that people who had already been Christians, people who had been sleeping in their belief, people who had tried to inter intellectualize the, 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 the gospel of Christ, people who had tried and some, in some ways lost their spirituality, all of a sudden they start to believe again. I pray that God will do something in our lives. That God will bring such a remarkable transformation that it will not be about you, but that God himself will start to receive praise again and people who have started becoming docile will wake up and shout the praises of God once again. Amen. Then the question comes, why does God get the accolade anyway? Well, that leads me to my third point. Because there are some of us, let's be frank, even at this point, are still a bit skeptical. Because you've you know, heard, I've heard, people, I've heard preachers sweat before. Not the first time, all these things. But I live in the real world. And in the real world, I can differentiate between what you say happens and how it happens. All this talk about transformation and remarkable thing. Yeah, I get. And I get how you've related it to Paul's story. I get that. But I cannot see how. And more importantly, the Paul's story is nice. I don't have the same kind of power to bring about the transformation Paul brought about in his life. I don't see how my own situation can change. You know why? You don't know where I'm coming from. You don't know how low I've been. You don't know exactly where I am. To which I want to ask you, tell me, where are you coming from? Say, oh, oh I'm glad you asked for me. My situation is bad. It is so bad, it is so impossible that now, whenever I see people's testimonies on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, my friends. Before, I used to rejoice with them. But now, I only utter three immortal words. But God, when? <laughs> my situation is so bad, it has become, but God, when now? When will it be for me? You see, my problem is so intractable. The issues are so fixed that it is impossible for me, having listened to what happened to Paul, to envisage that I can have a transformation. 
I get where you're coming from, but can I tell you also that how you diagnose the problem is totally, you've totally misunderstood where your problem is. And with that, you have totally misunderstood where the key to this story is. Where the key to this story, because if you are going to experience this transformation, you need that key. Listen, believe me, I need that key. Touch your neighbor and say, you need the key. I know it's safe, it's safe, all right? I was going to say, turn to yourself, but you can't. Tell yourself, I need the key. Now, please don't misunderstand. You see, the reason post-transformation seems to you, it seems impossible. Do you know why it seems impossible to you? <laughs> it's because left to him, it is absolutely impossible. But here is the problem that you have. While you are focused on the story's transformation, you should have been focused on the story's transition. Oh, no, you don't understand. While you are focusing on how impossible it is to go from this previous way of life to this other way of life and continue to live with that transformation, that remarkable transformation, while you are focused on that and then you looked at your own life and said, it is impossible. You are missing the key because the key is not in the transformation. The key is in the transition. What do I mean? Look at verse 15. Because many of us ask the question, but God, when... And whereas the transition and the key that you need comes if you just flip two words together. It is not, but God, when? But when God. Oh, you don't understand this thing. Turn to your neighbor one more time and say, but when God. But when God is the absolute key that translates or transits this story from one place to the other. Let me break it down. But when God, let's take the first word, but what does but mean? But is a conjunction that tells you something. That what is coming after it is a radical transformation from what just came before. In other words, things can change, guys, and things will change to the glory of God. Then you have the next question, which is when? When? What does when signify? It signifies an occurrence in time. You see, the thing that's going to change is not going to happen in the airy fairy. It's not going to happen in eternal. He's saying when? When something happens or when someone happens? Who or what happens? God. This signifies the intervention of the divine. You see, the work of the divine is the key that transits your life from a previous way to the current way that you are expecting. Listen to me. When Jesus' disciples saw what Jesus said, or listen to what Jesus said after he had encountered a guy, Jesus said, look, it is, more, it is more impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God than... No, it is more impossible for... I missed it first. It's more possible for a rich man to enter... It's more possible for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for what? A rich man to enter... He said, then we are toast. To, he said, Jesus, how, who can then be saved? You know what? Jesus did not disagree with them. Jesus absolutely affirmed. He said, you are very correct if it was left to you. If it was left to you. If it was left to you. But what is impossible with man is what? Possible with God. Listen to me. Do not doubt yourself. Or stop doubting or stop focusing and doubting on the transformation when you should be looking to the God of all possibilities. The God who alone can bring about that transition. But when God... Say, how does he make this transition? 
You're getting me now a little bit. I'm saying the how. So God makes the transition, but how? Well, you should read 15 and 16 together. Permit me to take out some words just for you to get it. But he says this essentially. But when God, who called me by his grace, was pleased. Listen, don't allow anybody to tell you anything about this God. Many people are misreading this God. This is a God who is pleased to bring about this dramatic turnaround. Do we understand? But what does he do to bring this about? When God who called me by his grace, was pleased to do what? To reveal his son in me. Now, me, don't, understand, don't misunderstand. The revealing son means also revealed the son to me. But it is this, that when the son is revealed to you, inevitably the son is revealed in you. When you encounter the revelation of the son, then if you truly encounter the revelation of the son, the son will bring about a transformation in you. Do you understand that? And then you ask, who is this son? Who is this son? Let me tell you about his son. This son is the one who experienced the transition of all transitions. This son is the one who transited from the eternal to the temporal. He transited from heaven to earth. He transited from the divine to divine human. He transited from light to darkness. He transited life to death. Why? Because of our previous way of life. Because when we believe in him, he pays the debt for our previous way of life. But it doesn't end there. Because though he lay in the grave, there was yet one more transition to experience. Though he was lying there, the light of the world was snuffed out, but listen to me, death could not hold him captive. The grave shook. There was an earthquake on the earth. And then all of a sudden, the next transition was about to happen. What was it? It was death that was now going into resurrection life. It was darkness that was now going into immortal light. It was the, the first divine human now going into the final divine human. It was leaving the lonely parts of the earth to ascend to the throne of grace. Why? So that your transition and your transformation will not just be something of an airy fairy story but it will be rock solid secure in the person of Jesus Christ. But when God you may be saying family you have no idea how deep I am into porn I have masturbated this morning. I don't think my story can change. You are right. It can't. But when God. You may say, if you knew my educational background, I always failed. There's no way I can come out of this poverty. I can't get a good job. I don't think my story can change. You are right. It can't. Say it with me. But when God. You may say that my marriage is over. My marriage is terrible. My wife is about to leave me. My husband is about to leave me. I have done so many terrible things. I don't deserve reconciliation. I don't think it can come back. I don't think my story can change. You are right. It can't. But when God, I just received my health diagnosis. It's bad. It's really bad. The doctor said nothing else can happen. Now I only need a miracle. I don't think my story can change. You are right. It can't. But 
when God. And then finally, one of somebody says, I have a trump card. I grew up in church. I was the choir master. I've heard everything about God. I did all of this. But I wanted to go far away. You don't know the things I have done. I have done things that I cannot speak about. There is no way God wants to receive me. There is no way God will want to take me back. I don't think my story can change. You are right. It can't. But when God, when God, who graciously calls you, is pleased to re reveal his son to you, your story can and will change. And listen, for some of us here, we're like, oh, but this sounds like all this, uh, all this overdramatic and inspirational stuff. You know, is it not there just about salvation? That's what Paul was doing. Listen to me. Paul prayed more than this. Paul needed God's intervention, not just here. And Paul tells us in Romans 8.32, if God is willing to change your eternal story, listen to what he says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously what? Give us all things. He is so willing. He's so caring. He's a father that is pleased to do good things for his children. He wants to change your story. If only you would allow his son to be revealed in you. And now you're telling me I get it. But there's one more thing. How long can I wait? When is my appointed time? When is the day of my salvation? How long? Because now I do want to give myself to God. And God is saying no need to postpone. No need to delay. Have you not read 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2? What are you still waiting for? He says, in the time of favor I have heard you. And in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you. I say this by the word of the Lord. I tell you. Now is your appointed time. Now is your day of salvation. If you believe this God and call upon his name, he will help you in that time. He will listen to you. If you believe this, then rise up on your feet and let us call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.